We're going to be looking at verse 16. That's Galatians 5, 16. Uh, we're in the third week of our Respectable Sins series. And this morning we'll consider how to fight sin. We'll be considering some practical steps in the fight against the remaining sin in our lives. Um, we know that though the dominion of sin has been taken away, sin still remains a real part of our lives. Now, we don't have to give in, but the reality is we are still weak, sinful, right? Sinful desires still remain, and the temptation to sin still presents itself to us. And we know this because the Word of God tells believers, those who have been united to Christ, the Word calls believers time and time again to put to death the deeds of the flesh and repent of our sin, Right? So we know, okay, clearly then sin is still part of our lives, even if we're not under the dominion of it any longer. And we know this by experience, do we not? We all know this by experience. Every Christian knows that he or she still has remaining corruption within them. You know that you still sin. So again, sin is a reality for every Christian. And as John 1.8 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Right? The Bible's a realistic book. So then, how do we fight sin? We learned two weeks ago that we have the ability to fight it. We have the ability in Christ to kill sin and say no to it. So how then are we to practically fight against sin in order to put it to death? Before we get into particular sins, which I hope to next week, I, I want to lay a foundation, and I want to continue to lay that foundation this morning. And so I want us to broadly consider some principles about fighting against sin. But I must say this before I go any further. Um, I, I look out among you, and except for the children who have not yet made a profession of faith, I believe every adult in this room has made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus, but I, I want to say this anyway. If you, if you have not been born again, if you have not been converted to Christ, if you have not yet come to the end of yourself and sought the forgiveness of sins through, or th rather through faith alone in Christ alone, this sermon will be of no help to you. Only those who have been united to Christ by faith have received the forgiveness of sins and have had the dominion of sin broken in their lives can begin to kill the remaining sin. Right? Those who are, rather, those who have not yet received Christ by faith are still dead in their sins and their trespasses. They're still slaves to sin. Those who have not yet received the gift of the indwelling Spirit of God cannot kill sin. Those who are still, um, rather, those who have not received a new nature in Christ are still under sin's power. And such people cannot fight sin. They, they cannot kill it. To paraphrase John Owen, it's easier for a man with no eyes to see than for a person without the indwelling Spirit of God to kill sin. It's easier for a deaf man to hear than for someone who is still dead in their sins to kill sin. That's true. So please hear me. If you have not yet come to Christ in repentance and faith, killing sin is none of your business. Rather, your business is to turn to Christ in faith and be saved from your sins. Know that. Know that. And I'm not questioning anyone's profession of faith. But if you know in your heart you're a false convert, know this. All the moral reformation you might work in your life and fool everyone else, you'll still go to hell when you die. You still will. Again, I'm not saying that I think anyone in here is a false professor. But I don't know your hearts. So know this. Your business, if I've described you, is not 
to try to kill sin. Your business is to come to Christ who saves you from your sins. Turn to him and live. But for those of us who have believed upon Christ, this sermon is for you. This sermon is for you. So let me continue. When you are made aware of sin in your life, what do you do to fight it? What do you do to kill it? I think that many Christians probably just acknowledge that it is a sin, whatever it is that you said or you thought or or you did. You acknowledge that it's a sin. You confess it to God. You ask for His forgiveness. You're sincere. You ask for His forgiveness through Christ. And then you just try to not do it again. Right? Like just by sheer willpower. Like I'm just not going to lose my temper with my wife again. Right? I'm just, I'm just sheer willpower. I know that's what I have done many times in the past. God, what I did was wrong. I'm sincerely sorry. For Christ's sake, forgive me. Yeah, I'm just going to try not to do it anymore. Um, that's not the way to kill sin. Uh, yes, discipline will factor in at some point, and there indeed must be attempts to practically obey the Lord and flee from sin and choose righteousness. But there is much more to fighting sin than just trying not to do it again. So, Let's consider some biblical directions for fighting sin. And, and what's funny, you'll notice, these are not going to be all go and do this kind of things. Right? Like that, that's what we think it's going to be. That's, that's what we usually look for. But fighting sin is primarily a spiritual issue. It's an issue of the heart. Why? Because sin begins in the heart. So if we are to kill sin, there must be a great measure of internal warfare before there can even begin to be external attempts to, to obey God. So we must fight sin by faith. And this must be empowered by God working mightily in us by his Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, I hope this sermon is helpful to you. That's honestly what I've prayed about this. God, I just want it to be helpful. Um, I, I want to help you learn how to fight sin and kill it so that we all might glorify our God who has saved us by his grace. So may God bless the preaching of his word today to the salvation and sanctification of his people. With that said, if you would and are able, please stand with me now for the reading of the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you now to ask for your blessing on the preaching of your Holy Word. By your Spirit, please, please make the preaching effectual to the salvation and growth and holiness of your people. Work in us today and change our hearts. Help us to receive your Word with all faith. Help us to believe and obey whatever it is that you've said. And help us to see your great mercy and love given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. God, grant us a sight of him. For that will drive sin out of our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You may be seated. So one of the blessings that comes from our union with Christ by faith is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Brothers and sisters, God himself dwells in you. God himself dwells in you. This is true of every single person who has turned to Christ in faith. Every single person. We have been made new in Christ, and God the Holy Spirit now dwells within us. 
And the Spirit does many things to us and for us. I'm just going to just throw a bunch of things out there. He guides us. He convicts us of sin. He empowers us to obey God. He points us to Christ over and over again because he is the revealer of Christ. He opens the scriptures to us. He works more and more faith in us. He conforms us to the image of our Lord Jesus. He works holiness in our hearts. He is the spirit of holiness after all. He does the work of sanctification. He teaches us greater obedience and love for the God who has saved us. And again, he does this for every single believer. What a blessing he is. Again, God himself dwells in us. And also, real quick, the Holy Spirit is not an it. He is a he. He is a he. And it is in light of this universal truth for every believer that the apostle says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Walk by Him. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So again, simply not trying to insult your intelligence, Paul says, walk by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you must yield to Him. Or walk after the Spirit, I believe is what the King James says. You are to be led by Him from moment to moment. And I want to be clear. This isn't some charismatic waiting for some kind of internal prompting before we do anything. I've met people like that. They're well-intentioned, but that's not what this is telling us to do. This isn't some kind of mystical experience that we're to look for from moment to moment. Rather, walking by the Spirit means to listen to Him, to submit to Him, to submit to His Word that He inspired, the Bible. We are to believe Him. What do you mean believe him? Believe what he said. Where does he speak? Through the word. The word that he inspired. We are to allow ourselves to be pushed by him. To look to Christ each day for grace and help and hope and the assurance of salvation. We are also, so hear, hear me out. I, I'm, not, I'm not knocking experience here. And, and a certain level of, of subject, subjectivity. Because that is part of our life as Christians, by the way. We are also to look to the Spirit, rather, and incline ourselves to obey the inner workings of the Spirit in our hearts. That's part of being a Christian. Right? Just because we're Reformed doesn't mean that we deny the, work, the internal subjective work of the Spirit. What does He do? He prompts us to repentance. Incline yourself to obey that. He prompts us to submission. He prompts us toward obedience and love for God. Incline yourself to those things. We are to look to the Spirit for grace to help us live a godly life that honors the one who has saved us. We are to submit ourselves to Him. And as much as lies within us, we are to allow the Holy Spirit to work grace in our hearts so that we yield His fruit. Walking by the Spirit, as one commentator said, this is my paraphrase, I think this is good. To walk by the Spirit is to listen to the Spirit speaking externally in the Scriptures and also listen to Him speaking internally and prompting you toward holiness in accordance with the Scriptures. That's good. And Paul says that if we will do this, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If we will be led by, if we will yield to and submit to the Holy Spirit, we will not give in to our sinful desires. Do you see that this is actually a promise? 
Like Paul's saying, like, if this, then this. Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I want you to see that this is a glorious promise for you. So just putting this out there to you. Would you like to kill sin in your life? Would you like to put to death the deeds of the flesh? Would you like to grow in godliness? If you would, then you must walk by the Spirit. God has ordered things these way, and it's good. It's good that He's ordered this way. You, you submit to the Lord, He will help you kill your sin. But notice something very important before I go any further. Paul does not say that we will not have any sinful desires or have to fight against sin. He does not say, walk by the Spirit and you will never want to sin anymore. That is not what he says. Rather, Paul says, we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You will not gratify them. That is your sinful desires. You won't gratify them. Christian perfection is not being taught here. Paul's point is that if we yield to the Spirit of God, though sin still remains in us, though sinful desires will still rise up in our hearts sometimes, it will not have dominion over us if we will walk by the Spirit. If we will yield to Him, we can fight sin as it rears its head in our hearts. And we can deny it to progress any further. If we will only submit to the Spirit, we can be godly and holy and refuse to give in to sinful desires and go further in sin. We can kill those first stirrings of sin in our hearts. We can spot them and refuse them. Now, I want to be very clear. Those first stirrings of sin, your initial inclination to commit sin, you know what I'm talking about, like the thought occurs to you, or like, ah, I really want to get even with this person, or ah, I really want to like let this person have it who's made me angry. Those first stirrings of sin in your heart are still sinful. <laughs> and they must be repented of for sure. And we will have that fight until we die and are glorified, and no longer have a sinful nature to contend against. And isn't that exciting? One day that will happen. We'll no longer have to contend against this. But for now, while we are still on earth, we do have to contend against this. But the promise is that we can refuse to gratify those desires. But again, in order to do that, we must walk by the Spirit. We have to yield to Him. So what's that mean? Like, what's that look like? What does that look like? Or in other words, how are we to fight our sin by the power of the Holy Spirit? That's what I want now to dive into. And I'll be looking at different portions of the Bible for this. So we're to walk by the Spirit. This first point is very basic, but it's very important. We must allow ourselves to be convinced of our sin by the Holy Spirit. You have to allow yourself to be convinced. The Spirit of God has come into the world to convict the world of sin. Jesus Christ says in John 16, 8, and when He, that is the Holy Spirit, and when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Now, to convict concerning sin is to convince men of their sinfulness before God. I, I believe the King James Version actually says convince of sin. Convince us of our sinfulness. So the Holy Spirit is the great revealer of sin. He shows us the need for repentance and faith in Christ. He shows the ugliness of sin 
how God hates it, why God hates it, and how the wicked are judged for it. And this he does in the heart of every single person who has come to faith in Christ. Right? It is the work of the Spirit to convince us of our sin that first showed us our need for a Savior, is it not? This has been done in all of us. But this does not stop at conversion, does it? Not at all. The Spirit of God continues to convince even the believer of his or her sin throughout our lives. And what a grace of God that this is. He does this so that we can forsake our sin. He does this so that we can learn to walk in greater holiness and righteousness to glorify our God. And how does he do this? How does the Spirit of God convince us of our sin? He does it through the book that he inspired. He does it through the Bible. By the way, don't try to divorce the Spirit from his word. That is his chosen instrument. He did not inspire it for no reason. Don't try to divorce them. Yes, we must distinguish between the Word and the Spirit, but the Spirit works by the Word. Now, whether, So then, whether it's preached or whether it is read, the Spirit of God uses His own Word to convince us of our sin. That's where He reveals to us where we've gone wrong and where we need to confess, repent, and turn again to Christ. And this is a supernatural act of God. Men cannot convince men of their wickedness. Try doing street evangelism. The Spirit of God reveals our sin, convinces us that it is evil, and calls us to repent and reform. So then, brothers and sisters, for our purposes today, I want to tell you something very important in light of that truth. You must not harden your conscience or ignore the internal working of the Holy Spirit. You must not. If you are to ever kill your sin, you must receive the conviction of sin that the Spirit of God gives you. It is a grace to you. We cannot ignore this internal work in our hearts. Once something is made known to us, once a sin is revealed to us, we cannot persist in it. We must own the work of God in us. And this means that we cannot attempt to justify our sin. So many do this. Even Christians do this for a season. But it is foolishness. I'm, 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 I'm smirking, by the way, because I can think of times that I have tried to justify my sin. Oh, I lost my temper with so-and-so because they said this. No, shut up, David. You sinned. We try to justify what we've done. Know this, no sin will ever be killed if we're attempting to justify why we committed it. Such a person is still in love with that sin. We must flatly accept whatever the Spirit says in His Word about our sin. No matter what the sin is, how culturally acceptable that it is, whether or not you think it hurt anybody, or how habitual it has become in our lives. You must call your sin exactly what the Spirit calls it in the Word. Again, brothers and sisters, do not fight against the work of the Spirit of God, but walk by Him and receive His rebuke. You know, the Proverbs talk often, I've noticed this in reading it with my wife, reading the book of Proverbs, they talk often about how the foolish man does not listen to rebuke or reproof or correction, but instead remains in his ways and suffers or perishes. We must not be such people. We cannot be fools if we're serious about killing our sin. So then we must listen. 
We must take heed to God as He pricks our consciences and calls us to the mat for our sin. We must listen to the internal pangs of conscience. And we must also listen to the external calls to repent that He gives to us in the word preached and read. Simply put, this is a phrase I like to use. You must own your sin. You have to own it. What do I mean by that? You ever heard someone say that? Do just own it. No excuses. Just own it. Admit that you're wicked. Admit that you're wrong and that you're in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And don't just acknowledge that you, that you did or thought or spoke wrongly, but acknowledge to yourself and to God the root of it all. If, as Scripture says, sin is a matter of the heart, that means that you sin because in the moment of your sin, at least, you desired that sin more than you desired to honor the one who died for your sins. Acknowledge that. That is the root. God, I lost my temper because it was more gratifying for me to be angry than it was to honor you who saved me. And I wanted to do that instead of pleasing you. Acknowledge the root of it. By the way, sit and let that wash over you. And own what you've said by your sin. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, sin is more than just breaking a rule. Acknowledge, God, I have challenged your authority. I have attempted to make myself equal with you. I have called your wisdom and goodness into question. I have called you a liar by refusing to believe that obedience was the best way. I've, I've dared you to judge me. And I've shown that in this moment, at least, I did not fear you. Let the weight of those things sit on your conscience. Be convinced by the spirit of the sinfulness of your sin. And I'm, I'm, I'm digging from John Owen some more here. Behold the crucified Christ in all of this. Let the spirit direct you to the one that you've sinned against. But not yet for relief. Not yet for relief. Rather, look to the crucified Christ and see him whom you have sinned against. He has died to save you and set you free from your sin. He has shown you such mercy and patience. And would you sin against that one? Would you sin against such love? And you've sinned against, you've sinned against God. All three persons of the Holy Trinity, they're, they're one. You've sinned against God. Shall you grieve the Spirit who has opened your eyes to the blessed Lord Jesus? Shall you disobey the Father who chose you in Christ and sent His Son to die for your sins? The answer, sadly, is yes. I have chosen to sin against the God who has loved me so. Brothers and sisters, consider the grace that you have sinned against. Consider the God that you have sinned against. And by the way, I'm not trying to do a drive-by guilting. This will make you see your sin for what it is and hate it. And it's once we begin to hate the sin that we are in a place to begin to fight it. See it for what it is. See the one that you've sinned against. So again, submit to what the Spirit says about you and your sin. Don't fight, but submit. Own your sin and repent of it. Repent of it. Confess it. Confess it in all of its ugliness and rebellion. I think that our confessions of sin in our private prayer lives are usually terrible. Conf Don't be easy on yourself. 
Call it what it is. Confess it to God. Don't fight. And then look to Christ who has made atonement for it. Indeed, he will forgive you. And endeavor in your heart to not commit the sin again. That's what repentance is, after all. A lot of people think if you commit the sin again, then you never really repented. Then that means that there's been no Christian ever who has ever repented and we're all going to hell. Repentance is a sincere endeavoring in your heart to not return to your sin. It's not that you never will. It's that you're going to try not to. Know that there's grace for you in Christ. And because of that, we need not fear admitting that we're sinners and that we've been wrong and we've strayed from God in our sin. But again, in order to repent, we must first allow ourselves to be convinced of the wretchedness of the sin. We must walk by the Spirit. And this is usually where we all say, and the end. Right? I saw what I did was evil. I'm done. God forgive me. The end. No, we're not done. Next, we must pray about our sin. We must ask God by the Holy Spirit working in us to strengthen and sanctify us. Prayer is, so, the longer, you, you notice this, the longer you're a Christian, the more you start to realize how important it is to pray. Yeah, there's pastoral confessions here. Uh, it's becoming more and more real to me the older that I get. And some of you who have been Christians longer than I've been alive are going, yeah, dummy. <laughs> you need to pray a lot. Prayer is so important in the fight against sin. Prayer is, is one of God's chosen instruments by which he gives us strength as he kindly hears our prayers and answers them. I want you to think about it this way. By the way, this is how we think of all the means of grace. Prayer is a pipe through which the power and grace of God flows from him to us to enable us to do his will. That's what a means of grace is, by the way. It's a conduit by which God gives us grace and strength. So we must pray. We must pray for strength. We must pray for God to change our hearts. We must pray that God would change our affections and cause us to love righteousness and hate the sin that we seek to kill. Please hear me. Please hear me. We are fools if we try to kill sin apart from prayer. Why is that? Because without prayer, you're attempting to kill sin in your own strength. And by the way, I'm not, that's, it's not just like a, a slogan or like a, a Christianese bumper sticker. That's actually what you're trying to do. By, by trying to kill sin without prayer, what you're saying is, no thanks, Lord, I got this one on my own. I can just stop. I can just change my affections. I can just love righteousness all by myself. That's foolishness. That's foolishness. Let, let me ask you this. Do you honestly think that you're that strong? If, if you do, if you're so strong and morally able, why did you fall into sin in the first place? Of course you need to pray. And God promises to give strength to those who cry out to him day and night for help. In prayer, we are appealing to the almighty, omnipotent one to grant us power to obey him. With prayer, we are recognizing our weakness and our dependence upon God to do something within us. Of course we need to pray. Brothers and sisters, prayer is often where the battle is either won or lost. Our strength to fight sin, the changing of our hearts to hate it, all of this will depend upon how much we are seeking help from God. 
It's supernatural work that we're dealing with with killing sin. Changing hearts is the work of God alone. So we must ask him for help. You know, in, in Luke chapter 11, verses 5 through 13, our Lord Jesus tells us to knock and keep knocking until God helps us. That's what he tells us. And he tells us to do this because God will certainly answer and give every grace of the Holy Spirit that we need. Jesus says this in Luke 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Our kids ask us for help and we help them. There's not a good parent in this room that would not help their children if their children says, Will you help me, Dad? Will you help me, Mom? How much more then will God give His children every grace and help from the Spirit if we cry out to Him day and night for help? That's what He's talking about, that He'll give the Spirit. This is every grace and strength and help from the Spirit. Of course the Heavenly Father will give that to us. Of course He will. But listen, here's what we do. We often think that we should only have to pray once or twice about a certain sin, and then we throw our hands up and say, well, that's that, I guess. I just can't stop doing it, and God's not going to help me. That's blasphemy. I'm not trying to, to sound like pious Pete up here. That is actually blasphemous. You have been set free from the dominion of sin by virtue of your union with Jesus Christ, and God himself promises to help you kill remaining sin. Keep praying. Pray diligently that's what we're bad at pray without ceasing be like jacob who wrestled with god all night and say i will not let you go until you bless me i was giving counsel to someone a few weeks ago about continuing to pray that god would help with the same sin and praying over and over and over <coughs> and what i told this person was bug him that's what he's telling you to do knock like the friend at night who just keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking until someone comes to the door again to speak humanly for a moment annoy the lord i'm not going to stop asking for help until you help me you said you'd help me so i'm going to keep coming back all the time until you give the help that i'm asking for he will do it he will do it but most of us don't pray as we should. It's like, it's like we want to suck the supernatural out of our religion, and we're just looking for more things to do with our hands to fight sin. Like we want to look to human wisdom, human effort, and things to do instead of acknowledging that only God can do this in our hearts. I honestly saw, I saw a Facebook ad, and I must have come through for Christians because it had some like Christian-y kind of stuff on it, and it was talking about the spiritual benefits of taking cold showers on a regular basis. All I could think of was what Colossians, whenever Paul says, yeah, like being severe on your body, like seems like it's good, but it won't help you to kill sin at all. We're looking, we look for things to do instead of recognizing this is supernatural and I need to do the work of prayer. Heart change again is a supernatural act of God. And so we must appeal to God for these things and develop a conscious sense of need and dependence upon the Lord. Brothers and sisters, pray. God, help me to hate the sin. 
Help me to love righteousness. Change my heart. Help me to feel the weight of my sin. Help me to love you. Help me to remember that Christ has died to free and forgive me of my sin. Help me to see Christ as more lovely than my sin. Help me to desire your glory more than my temporary pleasure. Keep me, help me to keep my eyes on eternity. Pray. Pray. Again, I've, I'm, I've, I've said this multiple times now, but apart from faith and prayer, we are working in our own strength and nothing is going to change. We will promise over and over again that we will not commit the sin again and we will fall every time. Or maybe we'll modify our behavior externally, but our hearts won't change and we'll still love the sin and commit it in our hearts. And that is no killing of the sin. And eventually it will return externally. Promise. But what a promise from God that we have in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. I love this. There's a, it's a one-two punch. Bear with me. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. What's John saying? If we pray according to God's will, he will certainly do what we've asked because God loves to do his own will. Check this out. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? If you pray that God would help you to be holy, he will definitely answer your prayer. Keep praying. If you pray that he would help you to love him, Guess what? That's part of sanctification too. Growth and love for the Lord. He will answer your prayer. So then what should you do? You should not go into your prayer closet uh, defeated saying, well, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if he's going to help me. But you ought to go with boldness and confidence. He will certainly help me to kill this sin because he is revealed in his word. It is his will. And I know if I pray according to his will, I have my request. Don't call him a liar in your heart. Pray confidently. You know, our Lord said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without his help that he promises to give us by his spirit, we can do nothing. So appeal to him. Brothers and sisters, pray. Pray. Next, we must look to the spirit-inspired word. We have to look to what the spirit has said about sin and also the promises of God given to us in Christ. What he says about sin, the promises given to us in Christ. These are twins that cannot be separated in the fight against sin. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We must store up his word if we are to keep from sinning against him. And part of this looks like, and I'm, I'm going to be very generic here, Part of this looks like applying relevant passages about our particular sins to our lives. For real. What, what I mean is find texts that speak to whatever sin you're dealing with, because I promise you in one way or another, there is a text that addresses the sin that you're dealing with. Maybe not explicitly, but implicitly, or actually you're doing this sin, but the root is this, and the scriptures talk about the root. Right? By the way, the fruit of your sin maybe didn't exist in the first century because people weren't able to do it because of technology or whatever. But the Bible does address the root. So you look for texts, you find them that speak to whatever sin you're dealing with, and you think on them. 
meditate on them, chew on them, memorize them, and pray through them. There's a world of instruction about every sin in the scriptures, both positively and negatively. The word will teach us about sin. And listen, maybe you're sitting there going, I don't, I don't know where that is in the Bible. Well, praise God you have elders who do, or at least should, or by God's grace, we'll help you figure it out. Maybe you need to go and sit down with one of your elders or another mature Christian to help you find these passages of scripture if you don't know where to look. And know this, there's no shame in that. Hey, I don't know where to go. I know the the word of God's sufficient, so that means it's going to help me with this thing that I'm dealing with. Someone's just got to show me where it is. That's totally fine. But also, I've noticed this in my own life, often by God's kind providence, sometimes these things will come across in your ordinary Bible reading or the preaching of of the word on the Lord's Day. But, but the point is this, get the word in your heart, get portions of the word that are especially relevant and helpful to you dealing with your sin and commit yourself to thinking and praying through that or rather through those portions of scripture. And, and, and this is not a magic bullet. Wouldn't that be great? Just memorize this verse and you won't commit that sin anymore. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, but we must, that's not what I'm getting at, but we must get the word in our hearts in order to have more fuel for the fight against sin. Now, how does this work? How does the scripture give us fuel to fight? Well, first, as I've touched on already, thinking on the word will help us to see the sinfulness of sin in general. And then it will help us to see the sinfulness of our particular sins, particularly. The Bible will help us to see clearly so that we can hate and we can hate the sin and fight it properly. The word will help us to see why we're tempted to sin what we're looking for in the sin. This is super important. What we are not believing about God when we sin. And many more things. And the word will also warn us of the foolishness and danger of sin. You want to see what the sin of, the sin of partiality amongst your children, what that's going to lead to? Read Joseph. Read Joseph. You'll begin to see the worldly consequences of sin coming to bear on many people in history. We'll see how sin ruins everything, how it destroys fellowship and relationships, how it is the root and source of all suffering and strife. It'll remind us that God disciplines his people and that we should fear the rod of God's correction. And in the most extreme case, the word will warn us that those who refuse to kill their sin are in danger of hell because it is those who persist in sin without repentance that prove themselves to be false professors. The word will also remind us of God's will for us instead of sin. Don't do this, do that. Don't think on these things. Think on these things instead. It will not only warn and rebuke us, but it will correct us and show us a more excellent way in what to focus on doing and believing instead of the sin. In all of these things, The word will teach us, I like this, the word will teach us how to argue with ourselves. Argue with ourselves against the sin. You will not know how to argue with yourself if you are not in the word. The question comes, if you're you're a thinking person, I want to commit this sin. I want to commit it real bad. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? you know the word 
the answers will come. God hates it. It's an offense against him. It'll hurt others. It'll disrupt my fellowship with God. It'll destroy me if I don't repent. It'll throw mud on the name of Christ. It will make the devil glad. It will make the unbeliever revile God. God would have me do this other thing that is actually better. And many other things will begin to come to your mind as you try to reason through your sin. It'll be exposed. It'll give you ammunition, the word will, to argue with yourself. But it's, that's not all that looking to the word will do. The word will also remind us of God's great mercy toward us in Christ. And that will incite us to greater obedience and holiness. You know, the Bible, even whenever it talks about sin, what does it always do? Directly or indirectly? It points you to the cross where your sin was dealt with and paid for. The whole book points us to the work of Christ done on our behalf to save us and reminds us of his love for us. And know this, I'm going to hit this more at the end. To know the love of Christ for you is to love Christ more. And to love Christ more is to love sin less. Those things go hand in hand. Christ and sin cannot remain in the heart at the same time in the same moment. They can't. So hide the word in your heart that shows you Christ. More than that, the word reminds us of all the things that are ours in Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Freedom from the dominion of sin. The indwelling spirit of God who empowers us to grow. That God himself will give us the will and ability to be holy and be what he has made us. The word will remind us that God, I love this, will finish what he has started in us. And that he will not quit working on us. That our Lord Jesus will never cast us away or grow impatient with us. That if we will only live at the foot of his cross by faith, he will never make us leave. And he will never wash his hands of us. Brothers and sisters, hide the word in your heart that you might not sin against God. See the arguments against sin in the word. And see the Christ who saves you and all the blessings that you, are, that you have in him that you're told in the word. And take it all by faith. This is how you'll fight. This is how the word will help you in the fight. An illustration for you. In a street fight, uh, people sometimes pack their fist. I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's uh, where you put a roll of quarters in your hands. Some people call it a fist load because you don't have to have quarters. You can put whatever you want in there. And what it does is it gives your fist something to wrap around, which can make it harder. And a roll of quarters will certainly make it heavier. And so what does that mean? It means you hit harder. Brothers and sisters, take the word of God and pack your fist. Take the arguments of Scripture and the promises given to you in Christ and put them in your hands so you have something heavy to swing with. Go into the battle with hands full of faith in what God has said in his word and fight. Fight. And then you must do. Here we go. Do. You must practically apply the Spirit-inspired Word by God's grace. Hear me. We don't pray, look to the Word, believe, and then just sit back and do nothing. That's not possible, by the way. It's not. Because the Word's going to call you to action. True faith acts. True faith is a living faith. And so praying and believing, we then submit to the Spirit of God's work in our lives. As Paul says in our text, Galatians 5.16, walk. By the Spirit. So that means there is a time for action. 
having sin revealed to us by the Spirit, being convinced of it, repenting of it, praying about it, looking to the Word about it, and we now must do something. What is that? We must obey. This requires effort. This will require a certain amount of discipline. It will not always come easy, but we must obey. Now listen, you, you can't just jump to obey without conviction of sin, hating the sin, looking to God in prayer, looking to the word. You can't just jump to obey. You don't have any strength to do it yet. You don't have any motivation to do it yet. But once that's there, we must obey. The Apostle Paul often says, put off and put on. What does that mean? Does it take effort to take something off and put something else on? Yes, it does. We must put off our sin and put on righteousness. We must make a conscious choice to obey God instead of sinning. We must make a conscious decision and effort to say no to sin and yes to God through faith in Christ. This is where, even if we, let's be honest, even if we still desire the sin to some degree, this is where we deny ourselves and refuse to gratify the desires of the flesh. By the way, do you think when Christ talks about denying yourself that that means you don't want to commit the sin? No, it means you deny yourself. Why? Because I'd rather obey him. So yes, your, your desire does win out. Your desire just must be to obey Christ. But that does mean that you have to deny the flesh in order to do so. So the impulse to sin will still be there. You must, by the Spirit of God's help, choose to deny them. Choose to deny those desires. And listen, we must choose to put on righteousness. This is important. I think this is John Owen again. The Mortification of Sin is an awesome book. Read it. Instead of merely trying to stop sinning, we are, we are to be led by the Spirit into practicing what is good and right. So hear me, if you're only trying to not sin, but you're not attempting to replace sin with virtue, you're not going to get very far. Your heart's a vacuum. You stop one sin, but don't replace it with virtue, just another sin will step up. Your heart's a vacuum. So you must fill it with righteousness, righteous thoughts, righteous actions. You must put on something to replace what you've put off. Now allow me to give one example of all of this for the sake of time. Just one, just one example. If you want to lose your temper, by the way, if you notice, I keep going back to that one because that's me. If you want to lose your temper and be angry, you must first resolve to refuse to give in. Go in the other room. In the moment, if you can, try to re recall Scripture. Pray immediately. By the way, that's going to be the last thing you want to do. You want to blow up. Again, I'm just using anger as one example. You want to blow up. Guess what you don't want to do? One moment. <laughs> and you can go, I'm going to go pray for a minute instead of just continuing this conversation. <laughs> you don't want to do that. You have to make yourself do it. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to make myself be silent. Deny yourself. Put off the sin. Choose to refuse to blow up and be harsh and be petty or seek revenge. And maybe in that moment you can't get away and all you can do is make yourself shut up. Make yourself be silent. And instead, you put that off. And what does the Bible say? I'm digging this from Ephesians 4. Forgive. 
be patient, be tenderhearted, be gentle, be kind. You're going to choose to do that instead. Now, some people at this point will say, and oh, this is very 21st century, but I would be acting fake if I do that because I'm actually angry. Sure, you, you know what? You're right. You need to be your most authentic self and sin against the Lord God. Does that not sound stupid? Is that not ridiculous? Please hear me. You would not be being fake. You would be choosing righteousness. We need to recover that. You would be choosing righteousness. You wouldn't be being fake. You would be putting off and putting on. You wouldn't be being fake. You would be angry but sinning not. You wouldn't be being fake. You would be denying your flesh and refusing to gratify the desires of your flesh. You wouldn't be fake. You would be walking by the Spirit. Catch this. You're not fake when you choose righteousness instead of sin. You're actually being more yourself than you know because you are a new creature in Christ. You're actually being false to your true self and denying what God has done in you by uniting you to Christ when you choose sin instead of righteousness. That's when you're actually being fake. Like Paul says to, to the Corinthians, you are unleavened. Now get the leaven out. This is what you actually are. Now be what God made you. What is he saying? To use modern language, be your true self. Be a Christian. That's what God has made you. Now, there are many other examples that could be made, but the point, or rather could be given, but the point has been made. We must, with much effort, resist our sin and choose to do what is right and pleasing to the Lord. And this we can do. Why? Because the Spirit of God leads us, is in us. We have been freed from sin in Christ, and God will empower us through His Word and prayer to obey. And one more thing before I get into my last point. I believe that God is often pleased to use our attempts to obey him to further change our hearts. Some people think like you don't obey until your heart's completely changed. That's silly. The obedience is commanded now. But I do believe that the Lord honors that, that attempted attempt to obey, even if you're not totally there yet, to further work change in your heart. Here's an example, just one. Praying for your enemies is really hard. You ever done that when you didn't want to? It's like, okay, Lord, I want to obey you. So again, your, de your desire is winning. I want to obey the Lord. So I'm going to pray for this person that has hurt me and has not repented, and I don't really like them very much. I'm going to pray for them. You ever get about two minutes into that prayer and confess to God, Lord, I don't think I mean any of this. I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm doing it because you tell me to do it. So please bless this person. Help me to love them. I kind of still don't mean it. What does he do over time in almost every case that I've ever heard someone talk about this? What does he do? Oh, it was through praying for them that I began to love my enemy and actually mean those prayers. So what does the Lord do? He uses our attempts to obey him in spite of our feelings to promote further change in our hearts. That's what he does often. So brothers and sisters, practically apply the word to your life. Obey. So then we've seen that we ought to own our sin, repent, 
pray, look to the word, and attempt to obey. And those are all good and helpful and biblical and part of what it means to be led by the Spirit. But let me tell you now, the highest and best help in fighting your sin, and I've, I've referenced it, I've, allu- I've alluded to it here and there, so I'm, I'm going I'm to hit it again. Because everything is connected to this. And this is the high thing. Look to Christ. There it is. Look to Christ. You thought that, I, mean, I hope you thought that's where we're going. Look to Christ. The Spirit of God always directs us to the Son of God. So be led by the Spirit to turn your eyes to Christ. What do I mean by this? A few things. Deal with your sin in the context of the gospel. You don't do this, you'll die. Remind yourself of the gospel every single day. Who is your righteousness? You know Christ is my righteousness. He lived a perfect and sinless life in my place. Who is my sacrifice? My attempts of obedience? No. Christ is my sacrifice. He has dealt with my sin and the penalty for it by suffering in my place and dying on a cross to satisfy God's wrath that was against me for my sin. Christ is all. Christ is the one who was raised from the dead as proof that God accepts him in my place and that I'm saved by faith alone in him alone. Listen, fight your sin. Yes, you have to. But only do so remembering that it is Christ who saves you. And that it is Christ who has dealt with your sin for you. Your your failure, your sin, no longer condemns you for Christ was condemned for you. You will never be separated from God because you have been united to Christ by faith and Christ will never be separated from God. You have been adopted into God's family through faith in Christ and God will never take you out of the living room and back into the courtroom. You are His child forever through Christ. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will never grow weary of you. Oh, as some ungodly earthly fathers grow to not like their children, He will never do that to you. He loves you, for He loves Christ. And you are in Christ. Know this, we do not fight sin in servile fear that if we don't get it together, He's going to cut us off and cast us into hell. That is not how we fight sin. That's how the papists try to fight sin, and they don't kill a single one. No, we fight sin in the knowledge that Christ has atoned for all of our sin already and we are accepted by God in Him. And now we want to please the God who has loved and saved us. We fight sin because we love God and we love God because He loved us first. Brothers and sisters, let this encourage you and put gratitude in your hearts. Let this truth give you the desire to deal with your sins at the deepest level. Knowing the love of God for you in Christ Jesus is what will make you fight your sin. Because that's what's going to make you love God more and love sin less. Remember, it is only a stronger affection that can drive out another affection from your heart. What does that mean? If there's a sin you desire, only a stronger desire can drive it out of your heart. And when we remember how God loved us by saving us in Christ, our love for Him will grow. And that love for God will drive out sin. Again, we fight sin because we love God. We hate sin because we love God. We're not trying to save ourselves. We are responding to God in love for Him. 
because he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If we get that into our hearts, we, just, we simply won't have the room for sin because our hearts will be filled to the brim with the love of God. So brothers and sisters, know this. It is by sustained, long-term fellowship with Christ that we will kill our sin. Meditating on His love for you, the beauty of His holiness, the goodness of His righteousness, how He has freed you, how He has saved you, how He promises to reward you by grace, how He has been faithful, how He has been merciful, how He has suffered for you, how He will never abandon you, how He is patient with you. It is by fellowship with Him and remembering His goodness and glory and love and living in light of that, that you will kill your sin. So Christian, be in communion with Christ. That's how you kill sin. Feed on Him by faith. Look to Him always. This is how sin and all its temptation and allure will be exposed as the waste of time and wretchedness that it is. Why is that? Because Christ will outshine it. When we hold up Christ next to our sin, we will see clearly that it is He who is lovely and desirable. And if we will hold Him up next to our sin, He will win every time. The question is this, will you look to Him? Or will you look to something else? There's the question. Through deep fellowship with Christ, we will take Joseph's words and they will become our own. Genesis 39.9 How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Through deep communion with Christ and constant meditations upon His gospel, that will be the cry of our heart. I can't do this. Why? Because I love Him too much. May God give us the grace to kill our sin. May God help us to love Him more. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to love You. Please. Help us to see our sin and to see our Savior. Please. I don't know what else to pray, God. That is what we need. We need to see Christ. We need to see Him in His glory. We need to see Him in all of His beauty. We need to see how He loves us. Everything else I've said is right and true. We need to pray. We need to look to the Word. We need to be convicted of our sin. We need that. But above them all, we need fellowship with Christ. Grant us a deeper fellowship with our Savior. And help us to see Him for who He is. Please help us. For His sake. Amen. Will you please stand?